My name is David Miner. I'm an assistant pastor here, and it's been my privilege for more than one or two years in the few years that I've been here as a mostly retired pastor to bring the Word of God on the final Sunday of the year. And again, that is my privilege. And with a preaching assignment, often there is no assigned text. And therefore, the preacher must find something to preach on. And as I was uh, meditating, trying to figure out what to do, this, at the end of this year, it occurred to me that I could preach on a passage I've already done on a doxology from uh, the end of Romans uh, chapter 11. Uh, I would have had to just dust it off, rework it. But then I thought about this year, and uh, this is the final Sunday of this year, and as I was asked to give a benediction a a few weeks ago, uh, when Jamie was preaching, It occurred to me I could preach on a benedictory passage, not having done that, and for many decades have been very perplexed about what the real status of a benediction is. So I wondered, could more study help me to understand what a benediction is? And so I picked the benedictory passage that we have near the end of the book of Hebrews, a powerful benediction, New Testament benediction. But first, a word or two about some terminology. Um, Benediction, two Latin words, a good saying, a good word. There's another uh, word that we throw around in our uh, uh, description of different aspects of our worship, and that's the word doxology. What's a doxology and what's a benediction? Well, a doxology, two Greek words, a glory word, are words ascribing glory are usually directed to God himself, unless we're at a funeral and we have something called a eulogy. But a doxology, You know what the doxologies are? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, Those are doxologies. They're different from the way we normally use the word benediction. A benediction is what we sense God saying to us. More specifically, we're claiming God's blessing of us. Now that word bless is used in the Old Testament to both describe how we bless God, but when we bless God, it's called praise, adoration, uh, when, when we, uh, or thanksgiving. Uh, but when God blesses us, it's called help. It's called uh, nurture. It's called care. It's called grace. It's called peace, preeminently. That's what God does. Now, I don't know whether you have ever read this, but it's actually in the bulletin of our uh, worship service, has been since I've been here, 
I like these words. There's some little descriptions uh, before, uh, after the call to worship, after the, uh, uh, at, the, at the prayer, uh, the morning prayer. There's a little description there, benediction. Here's what it says. Just as God had the first word in our worship, the call to worship, he also gets the last word as he sends us out to our homes, work, family, and relationships with his blessing. God blesses us as his children to live as sons and daughters of the great king, as brothers and sisters of Christ, and therefore of one another. I don't know who wrote that. It's been here since I've been here. It could have been Stephen or Scott. It, it's, it's a little too short to have been a committee of session. Uh, it could have been one of the prior pastors here, Stephen Clark, going back. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I like it. Uh, the emphasis is that we're looking to God who is giving us his blessing as we go out from the fellowship together to the assigned tasks that we have. And uh, this kind of benediction has a well-established history in the people of God. There was such a benediction given uh, to the uh, sons of Israel, the children of Israel. It was given specifically to the sons of Aaron, the priesthood, to place upon the people of God. Uh, and uh, we read about it in number six, and I'm going to be reading that as I talk about my main text from Hebrews. And this, the benediction, the, the custom of having a benediction at the end of a, a service was beloved by the ancient Jews. And it, there may well been, that was precisely what Jesus was doing uh, as he was taken up into the cloud from his disciples. In the end of Luke's gospel, we read that he lifted up his hands like the uh, Levitic priests would have done, and he blessed them. And the, the people would have been un understood that as the ironic blessing. Martin Luther thought that's what Jesus was doing, giving them the uh, ironic blessing. And um, Martin Luther thought, us, we Protestants, we need to reestablish that as a it's the way we end our worship service. And that was picked up by the Reforms. Or it was picked up by the various other, uh, not just Calvin in Geneva, and Geneva, uh, uh, but the, uh, John Knox, and then in England. And it, it follows through. And it's that tradition that Wallace is, of course, following when we have the benediction. And it's not just the Numbers passage, it's, or this Hebrews passage. It, it could be a variety of different passages. Uh, passages, but the, the point is that this is a well-established tradition to place the name of God upon the people of God. Now let me read my text. Hebrews 13, verse 20. I hope this is familiar territory to you. I hope you have heard this many a time. Now, 
May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as I just read that, perhaps you noticed that the author of Hebrews sort of forgot that he was just doing a benediction and he moved into a doxology. Well, they often show up together. Why shouldn't they? It's very natural to move from a, uh, an understanding of God's blessing of his people and turn around and bless him with a doxology. That's just the way that uh, where the Spirit inclines us to move as we uh, reflect and rejoice in God's mercy. Uh, now, the author to, of this, this benediction, he was a, 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 obviously a Jewish believer in the Messiah, Jesus, and he was also thoroughly immersed in the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the scriptures of the books of Moses. And he would have known of the significance of the Aaronic uh, blessing, uh, benediction. And I speculate that what he is doing here in this passage of scripture is he is telling these Jewish converts to Jesus how to interpret the ironic blessing in the light of their newfound faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So in order for me to make this point, I'm going to take you now to the uh, other very familiar passage. It's found at the end of Romans 6, Numbers 6, not Romans, Numbers 6. It, and the end of uh, Numbers 6, it's quite interesting. Uh, if you are reading the books of Moses, and you get the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and other uh, characters in Genesis, and then you get into Exodus, and you get the story of Moses and the people leaving Egypt. Uh, and then... Um, uh, you get them, the stories of them getting to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, and then the stories seem to fall away, and what you have is lots of laws. Lots, uh, lots of laws. It, 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 starting in the middle of Exodus, uh, after the golden calf, uh, uh, how to build the tabernacle, how to dress the priests, and then the, the laws continue in the whole book of Leviticus, and they continue in Numbers. Now, at the very end of all these laws about how to worship God properly, you get this passage, which I read to you now. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So that's the well-beloved uh, benediction that is used by Christians as well as was loved and used by the ancient Hebrews. What's going on here? Well, you have a beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry, artfully constructed. It's, uh, it, it's got the, the first line, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's three Hebrew words. The second line, the Lord make his face and sh shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's five Hebrew words. And then the third one is seven. And uh, you're building a climax. And when you get to the climax, what's the last word? Peace, shalom, wholeness, integrity, living the way we were made, created to live, enjoying fellowship with God and one another, making good use of his gifts, living the way we were created to live. Absence of warfare, absence of conflict is only part of it. Peace is just wholeness. And that's the climax. Uh, but let me give you some more about this. Notice not only the three different lines, but the threefold repetition of the covenant name of God. It's our translations, it's the Lord bless you, but it's actually Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the uh, covenant name that he gave to his people for them to use as they addressed him, talked about him. A threefold reputation. Then there's a twofold reputation, uh, repetition of face. Face. We actually have two different words in our English translations. One is face and the other is countenance. But what is a countenance? It's a loving face. It's a welcoming face. And so I guess the, uh, with the early translators of the English Bibles, they recognize the beauty in that kind of variety. And that's one of our literary, uh, uh, um, one of the ways that we recognize beauty is to vary our vocabulary, but the Hebrews were less interested in that as far as I can tell. They were quite happy to repeat and so twice is the word face there. And um, then uh, there's, uh, there's the, the whole context is God's blessing. That's what it's about. This is how you shall bless the people. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you. But what is the content of that blessing? There's three things. Keep you. Keep, guard, protect. One of the reasons we know that this ironic blessing was beloved is the way that it shows up in the rest of scripture. In one of the, uh, one of the Psalms, one of the Psalms of Ascent, remember this one, where, uh, shall I lift up my eyes to the hills? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then that Psalm 121 goes on to repeatedly emphasize 
He's my keeper. He's my protector. Where did the psalmist get that from? The ironic blessing. Uh, psalm 63 is another, 67 is another psalm that reflects on this ironic blessing. But you see it in lots of different places. But the, it, uh, so the first of the, the blessing is, the first aspect of blessing is keeping, protecting, guarding. The second aspect is grace. The Lord is going to turn his uh, face or make his face shine upon you and give you and be gracious to you. Grace. Grace, getting something good when you deserve something bad. Ancient Hebrews needed that. We need it. That's what Jesus gave as he came and they be, his disciples beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Grace. Then the third thing that we find in the ironic benediction is peace. Peace. To live in harmony with God, your creator. To live with your sins forgiven. To live as accepted before a holy, righteous judge who has become your heavenly father. Peace. Now they didn't all get, understand all of that back then. Uh, but these three things, protection, keeping, grace, the sh grace shining upon the people of God, and God lifting his face, his toward the people of God and giving them peace. Now what happens as the priest, the Aaronic priest, uh, uses benediction? What happens? Verse 27 tells us, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. The priests are putting God's name on the people of Israel. My goodness, what does that mean? If you go to my library, you will see my name on most of my books. The point of that is if I lend them out, whoever's got them will know where their home is. And ultimately, they'll find their way back home. Ownership. Ownership is key. Putting the name of God on the people of God is to remind the people of God who is their owner. But if you look at my books, you'll see maybe on the first inside cover, you'll see my name, but you'll see much more prominent another name there. What's that other name? The author's name. The author puts his name on his composition, his treatise, his book. It's identified with that particular author. So if I give you a copy of my Calvin's commentary on Ephesians, it's Calvin, not mine, <laughs> name that's important there. 
So to put God's name on the people of God is to remind the people of God who made them. But there's something more. You know, I've taken up um, uh, wood turning. That is, you know, you use a machine that makes wood go round and round and you shape it and you can make bowls. I've been wanting to do this for the last couple, uh, 20 years or so and I've just got, in this COVID time, I've got a, a lathe that actually will do it with relative ease. I've made a few bowls. I haven't yet put my name on them. I'm not sure I'm ready yet to, to identify them as mine. But Mercedes has no compunctions about putting their star on their product. To put the name of God on the people of God is to put the character of God upon the people of God. And to put the character of God on the people of God is the ultimate purpose of the blessing of God. God says to his people, be holy because I am holy. But he doesn't just command them. He enables them to obey. He makes them holy. He sanctifies them. And how does he do that? Well, I thought that as we were singing that second hymn after the invocation, this Isaac Watts hymn puts it fairly well. Let me read it to you. It's the my dear Redeemer and my Lord uh, one. And I'm reading the second stanza. Such was your truth and such your zeal such deference to your Father's will, such love and meekness, so divine, I would transcribe and make them mine. To put the name of God on the people of God is to put the character of God on the people of God. Listen now to uh, Isaac Watts' fourth uh, uh, stands us here, at least in our uh, hymnals version of it. Be now my pattern. Make me bear more of your gracious image here. Then God the judge shall own my name amidst the followers of the Lamb. So that's what's happening in a benediction. The pastor stands, lifts up his hands, and says, receive the benediction. What is it? Well, it's a prayer, for sure, even if the pastor got his eyes closed and got his hands up, unusual, for prayer. It's a prayer. But I'm, I'm thinking that it's perhaps more than a prayer. Is it perhaps the actual conferring of God's blessing? I think not. I'm not even sure that was the case with the ironic benediction. Verse 27, the Lord, uh, in, in uh, Numbers uh, 6, so shall they put my name on the people of God and I will bless them. So unlike 
the Roman Catholic Church, unlike the Eastern Orthodox Churches, I don't think that as the pastor stands up there and gives the benediction, he's actually conferring divine blessing. It's God who does the blessing. But there's more than just a wish, more than just a prayer. It's a, it's a pronouncement. It's a placing upon the people of God as a final effort before they go out for this week of work ahead of them. It's placing upon them the mighty, glorious purpose to follow our God, to obey Him, to be His people, to be like Him. I, uh, David Green and I were uh, doing a, just a little bit of emailing about uh, this uh, passage, uh, my, 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 what a benediction was. We might have slightly different re perspectives, but he uh, pointed me to a, uh, a passage at the end of the book of uh, in, in, uh, chapter 20 of Acts. That's the, the, the sermon that the Apostle Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. Uh, and he doesn't expect to be able to see them again. And um, he says in verse 32, he says, And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. I think that's part of what's happening in a benediction. The pastor, with his upraised hands in our tradition, <laughs> nothing... nothing uh, no biblical instruction. It's just sort of following the Old Testament uh, practice. But the pastor is giving a final pointing to Jesus. A final um, uh, pointing to the triune God that we have. I think that's what it is. Now, let me turn to my text. The uh, text uh, that I read uh, um, after my introduction, lengthy introduction, I'll read it again because of uh, the distance now. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, do you see any relationship between the ironic blessing? Well, now may the God of peace. Peace was at the end of the ironic blessing and made central by the way that the Hebrew poetry emphasized it there at the end. Here, in this uh, Hellenic, Hellenistic culture, this very Hebrew author puts it at the beginning. Uh, but it's central in both cases. So as the people of God leave 
the assembly of the saints and go out to their week, the peace of God needs to attend them. They're going to fail. They're going to be frightened. They're going to be tired. But they need to remember that the God is gracious and wants to give them peace. They have peace because they are reconciled to him. Peace because their sins are forgiven. They have peace because God, their God, is a God of peace. That's similar. What else is similar? Well, um, one of the things in the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. Keeping, protecting, guarding. Okay, to my text here. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd. Shepherd of the sheep. What's the shepherd's job? Guarding, keeping, protecting, rescuing the great shepherd Jesus in one of his parables talked about how one of the disobedient sheep had wandered away and the shepherd left the flock and went and guarding, keeping, protecting brought it back. That's emphasized here in a different way. What else? Well, the ironic blessing. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. But what do we see here? Equip you with everything good. Equip. Um, my favorite uh, Hebrews commentary doesn't like this translation particularly, equip you with everything good. He would prefer um, something more like this, uh, that he would, uh, that, that God would provide uh, everything uh, necessary, every, every, that, that God would actually, uh, the word equip, is a word that was, can be used in multiple ways. It, it means to refurbish. It means to rebuild. It means to repair. It means uh, to make anew. Uh, and uh, what is being said here by the author of, of Hebrews is saying that God will do what is necessary to enable us to do God's will. Now, we're bent, we're twisted, we're needy. What is it when you get help for that? It's called grace. It's grace without the word being there. That's what I believe is similar. Uh, it, grace is there. And we've seen that peace is there 
as it starts. So those are some similarities. There's another similarity that I, it's not so obvious, and it only came to me late in my study. In the ironic passage, the word face is used twice. Uh, may his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may his face be lifted up towards you and give you peace. Now what we see here, we don't see the word face, but what, we, what do we see? We see a double reputation, a, 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 a double a, a reference to Jesus. First, to our Lord Jesus, and second, to Jesus Christ. And in the, uh, in the Greek text, the first reference is at the end of the first clause, giving it prominence. So as face in the old, in the ironic blessing, as face is given prominence, and face, by the way, refers to the presence of God. Here, what we have is pointing to the Jesus and uh, that passage from Second um, uh, Corinthians um, about uh, the way in which we see the face of God. Let me read that passage. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, let there be light. Genesis 1. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's the face of God? Jesus. Jesus shows that brightened countenance shining face of the Father to us. This is what the disciple John recognized when he wrote, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. The grace and truth, the glory of the Father was seen, and the word become flesh. So, in this Hebrews text, what's happening is that instead of the word face that is used in the Aaronic benediction, Jesus is pointed to. That's similarity because it's twice, but difference because it turns to Jesus. Okay, uh, so I've moved from... Uh, Similarities now to differences. How has uh, the author of Hebrews otherwise updated this uh, benediction for our new covenant use? Well, if you look at the ironic benediction, it's full of nice things that God does to bless his people. Protecting, keeping, uh, being gracious, and granting peace. Is there any expl explanation of where these benefits come from? How can a holy God give this to a sinful people? It's not there. It's missing. It's present. 
in the Hebrews benediction. Let me read it to you. He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. There's an explanation for why God can keep erring, straying, unholy, redeemed sinners. There's an explanation of why he gathers them in the first place. The explanation is Jesus' blood. More than that, the explanation is that Jesus' blood was accepted by the God of peace. It was accepted as adequate to establish this ownership, to establish this grace being poured out, to establish this peace that the people of God enjoy with a holy God. It comes through the blood of the covenant. The rest of the book of Hebrews is emphasizing how the Sinaitic covenant is being swept away by a new high priesthood, the priesthood of the Lord Jesus. It's being swept away because there's a better word not just the prophets, but it's the word of God himself, his own son incarnate. This, uh, the, so now we have the new covenant, the predicted covenant, the eternal covenant. And this eternal covenant is referenced in this benediction that it's not, uh, in a way, not referenced in the Aaronic benediction. So that's something. Now there's something else that I want to point to and I know my time is running short here. Verse 21. May he equip you by the way the, 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 probably the way we should read these words is not indicative that, that just in the pronouncement you are automatically equipped. It, it is kind of like a prayer. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What is this working in us? What is this you may do? That, brothers and sisters, is the mystery of sanctification. By the way, a benediction is all about seeking the sanctification of the people of God. Making them holy because God is holy. Making the character of God evident in the lives of the people of God. How does this happen? Well, number one, he fixes us. He equips us. He does what is necessary to us so we can actually obey him. Who's doing the obedience? We are. Could we before? No. Do we get help to obey? Yes. He helps us. But we still have the responsibility of obeying. This passage is very similar to a passage in the book, uh, in, one, in one of Paul's letters, um, Philippians 2. 
uh, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Obey. For God is at work in you to will and do of his good pleasure. That same tension, that same mystery is right here in this benediction. May he equip you, enable you to keep his uh, commandments. But more than that, he's working in us. Who's doing it where it says working in us that which is pleasing in his sight? Who's doing that working? Not us. The God of peace is doing that working. The great shepherd is doing that working. The Holy Spirit is doing that working. Now this is a mystery. Um, one of Jamie's teachers, Greg Beale, has a big um, book on New Testament theology and he's got an illustration in there that I'd sort of like. I'm going to give it to you. Um, the snowstorm comes and uh, Greg Beale's neighbor has a shiny new powerful snowblower. Two inches of snow are down and he cranks up his snowblower and he goes out and he does his driveway. But Greg Beale has nothing but a rusty snow shovel. And he's not anxious to put it to work yet. So he doesn't have the power to get rid of the snow the way his neighbor does. So he lets it accumulate. And his no neighbor is there after when it gets up to four inches. His neighbor is out there again and, clean, and, and getting it done. But Greg Beale, he waits until the snowstorm's over. Now he's got six inches of snow to get rid of. And all he's got is a rusty shovel. What's the difference? Well, the one guy had the power and the other guy didn't. And what he, Greg Beale was saying is, we're to understand that we have the power. We've been given the ability to obey. I have often, uh, as a preacher, had uh, taken delight in the, uh, I think it's the Mark, uh, Mark inversion of the feeding of the 5,000. As the hungry people needed to be fed, Jesus gives an impossible command to his disciples. He says, you feed them. We don't have enough money. The stores are too far away. There's so many people, even if we got to the stores, there wouldn't be enough bread. You feed them. Uh, well, what have you found? We found five loaves, two little fishes. Give them to me. Jesus blesses them. And then what does he do? Give them to the people? No. He gives them to the disciples. And the disciples distribute them. Well, you know, at the end of the Gospel of John, there's that assignment given to Peter. Feed my sheep. But what does a preacher do? Can we really feed the people of God? Well, God says, Jesus says, yes, you can. But no, I can't. 
I will give you the power to feed the people of God. That's my blessing upon my people. That I feed them through the preaching of the word. Of servants of the word. So you listen to the benediction. What you need to do is remember that this is the final effort of the preacher. Sort of, kind of traditional. That's the way we end our worship services. But there's meaning in it. The preacher's attempting to place the word, the name, the character of a holy God upon you. Because God uses instruments to do that, to change you, to turn you so that you look like his son, Jesus. And as you get changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens? You glorify God. And this benediction ends with a doxology that is very um, ambiguous. May the God of peace, that's the subject of the sentence. This is one sentence. May the God of peace, um, and then may he do all of this stuff through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Who gets this glory forever and ever? The God of peace? Or Jesus Christ. I think it's ambiguous. Some of the commentaries say, oh, we got to go back to the beginning of the sentence, to the subject. Both. I think there was intentional ambiguity there. David Green knows Greek better than me. He may correct me. But there's no doubt about this. Glory be to the, God, uh, to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, all of whom are at work in the blessing of the people of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we bless you, praise you, thank you, that you take delight in blessing unworthy sinners. You take delight in giving grace to those who do not deserve it. You love to share your peace, a peace which cannot be disturbed by any of our sin. A peace that you grant. There is no peace to the wicked, you say, but there's peace to those who repent. There's peace to those who will turn to you who are merciful and call upon your name. Thank you for that peace. And may we go forward from this place rejoicing in your peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.